And today we're going to be dealing with the subject of sanctification, ecclesiastical sanctification in the sense of the church being separated, personal sanctification in your own life, as the Bible says, let a man work out his own salvation with fear and trembling, and that guidance for both entities to be the Word of God. And as we think about sanctification, we have to deal with the subject of God's grace uh, because there is a manipulation of God's grace, and Paul addresses the issue. He gives us two questions, right, in verse number one. And it's almost rhetorical. He answers them for us, but it leads us to believe that there are Christians in his day, and there are definitely Christians in our day, that would take the grace of God and expose it in a manipulating way. And so the Lord gives the Apostle Paul insight, and he illuminates the subject and really deals with it in a very practical and truthful manner. And not only in this passage, but you see the consistency in all of his epistles. You know, thank God for the Baptist church and denomination in many ways because uh, out of uh, denominationalism, there's very few that would preach against sin. And uh, Paul addresses that, that subject, the broad subject of sin, in chapter 6. Uh, I want to take a commentary and just read some uh, introducing thoughts to this chapter. And hopefully this will give some introduction and lay a foundation for all that we're going to discuss. If you will, just keep um, me and your prayers in my throat this morning and tonight. The book says, Many of those who hold the doctrine of Jacob Arminius believer that there is a good possibility that a person who has been truly saved might for some careless or deliberate sin or spiritual failure in their life forfeit their salvation and lose it as he's addressing chapter 6. And no doubt as you look at grace, there is that thought that would be uh, asked in the minds of many Christians, and yet Paul addresses it. He goes on down to say, most believe that the person who lost their salvation might be saved or restored to favor with God. However, if they are not restored, they will die and go to hell. This is not true. He's just kind of introducing um, a troubling question with false teaching. Every suspicious of those who hold the Bible truth to the security of every born-again believer, they rise many questions or they raise many questions. Their questions are usually condemning as they search for flaws in the lives of those who rest in the security provided by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, we're sealed to the day of what? Redemption. They say the people who believe in eternal security have a tendency to live ungodly and unseparated from the world. In many cases, that's not entirely a false statement. That that could be true. And really, um, that's what we're going to be dealing with here in chapter 6. It says, if I believe in eternal security, I would never go to church or tithe, or I would not be particular about how I live. That's what these people are saying, not the author of the book. This is a great man. Does anyone know Dr. Carr? He's a pastor down in uh, Detroit. Anyways, he's the author of the book, Good Man. He says, Paul raises two hypothetical questions in chapter 6. The first question is raised in verse 1. Shall we continue in sin? Question mark. 
It is answered in verse 2 through verse 14. The second question is raised in verse 15. Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? The rest of the chapter is then used to answer these questions. These questions um, by their nature are answered in this chapter. So that's really a good introduction to uh, this passage. And hopefully as we uh, give some thoughts that this will help bear witness to the truth and give direction. Chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There's a question, and immediately he goes into the answer of that question. God forbid. Period. The end of the statement. Should we go any further? All of God's Word is given by inspiration. Amen? Now he goes into depth of elaborating upon the answer, but let me just remind you, that's all I need. That's it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And I, I want to kind of bear witness to some things that we've all heard, and I hope that we're not guilty of it here in our church or individually in our lives, but many times we would say, thank God I live under grace. And I praise the Lord that I do live under grace, but that tone can be in a manipulating way as to excuse us from responsibility as an exemption to do whatever we would like. And Paul addresses the issue. Why is he addressing the issue? Because he's been dealing with the subject of salvation. And salvation lies at the door of one entity, and that's God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And so... Many times, uh, uh, and especially as he's dealing with the, the Christians in Rome, he's addressing this issue that many Christians have today, and that is, okay, I am saved, I am eternally secure, I am okay, so that means I'm not going to hell, I can do whatever I want to do. Can you do whatever you want to do? Sure you can. I know a number of Christians that are saved, and they live wicked lifestyle, but it doesn't mean that it's right, and it doesn't mean that there are not consequences for those actions. And so Paul is dealing really with the doctrinal thought of God's grace. And he's using it first and foremost to say that it's not an excuse or a license to sin. And as we think about chapter 6, you have to really think about sanctification. Sanctification is given to us in two ways. The word sanctification it means to be separated. And we are internally separated. The day that we accept Christ, you're a new creature. You're totally different. But that progressive sanctification is dealing with the outward shell of that man or that woman. Our body is not sanctified. Our flesh is still weak. And so Paul addresses the issue here concerning the flesh. God forbid... How shall the, uh, he says in verse 2, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, certain the word live. Living in sin, what, what does it mean to live a lifestyle of sin? Living in sin could be associated with a number of things. And we know people that live in sin, whether it be drunkenness or adultery or fornication, whether it be a continual habitual liar a manipulation of truth, a gossip, a tongue of gossip. 
And Paul says that we are to live no longer there in that lifestyle. Why? Because we are dead to that. Look in verse number 8. It says, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Do you believe that you are living with Christ? Is Christ in you? Do you believe that? Then the attitude that should be followed up or summed up with that belief is that I am going to live the lifestyle that Christ desires. And that is to live no longer in sin. Why? Because I am dead to sin now. My life has, has been raised to walk in newness of Christ, newness of life. I've been uh, buried with Him in baptism. I've been raised with Him in newness of life. Now I'm to walk in this, this new life, this newness of life. Why? Because this is how I'm supposed to live. Now if we believe that with, uh, with Christ, uh, now, excuse me, verse 8, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. So this morning, I've really got three points. And I first want to talk about the new nature. And this is important because what we find here is a reminder that Paul addresses the license of sin or grace being manipulated and misused. And he talks about the new nature. We're no longer sinners in the sense of being held captive by slavery, by in bondage of our flesh. Are we sinners? Yes, but the, 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 the new man has made it possible that we don't have to live in sin. Before you were saved, you had no way to fully be, re, to, to fully be removed from, from those uh, sinful choices. But today we do, being saved. Look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <coughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look down in verse 21. We've been talking about the ministry of reconciliation and it's found in this passage. He says in verse number 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then he says down in verse 21, for he, hath been, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may might be made the righteousness of God in him. We've been made new in Christ. We no longer have to live in a lifestyle of sin. We're no, our nature has been changed in essence. That inward man, that new man. Look with me in 2 Peter chapter 1. The Bible tells us that we have a way of escape when temptation lieth at the door, when there's a choice to be made. We have that power, and that power does not lie within the flesh. It lies within the Spirit of God. And that's why we're commanded in the book of Galatians to walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So he says in Second Peter chapter 1, down in verse number 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be what? Partakers of the divine nature. Whose nature is that? It's Christ. We've been made new in Christ. Having escaped the corruption. That's the key here. Do we have the power now as a child of God to escape the corruption that lies in the flesh? Yes. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through what? Through lust. 
So Paul addresses the issue of being a new creature, a new nature. Look with me back in our text. He says in verse um, verse number two, God forbid, how shall the how shall we that are dead to sin? Live any longer there. How shall we do this? How can you do this? Why would you do this? For what reason? In essence, Paul is saying that you now, for the first time, have you know what what changes the what changes the outside of a man? I'll tell you what changes the outside. AA meetings change the outside of a man. A coin changes the outside of a man. You know, certain groups change the outside of a man. Uh, a, a, a psychiatrist would change the outside of a man. But if you really want to be changed, those are only temporal. Those are only for a moment. And as we think about, you know, the child of God, there is this um, this thought of being double-minded in the sense of we are in a warfare and sometimes... The flesh desires, but the spirit desires. Or um, having two train of thoughts, going in this direction or going in that direction. But what Paul is saying is that we have the power now through the help of the Holy Spirit that is in Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have the power now to rise above sin and make the right decisions, make the right choices. Why? Because you've been made a new creature. And we're going to address some of this in our Sunday morning worship, uh, as Paul does. And I really don't want to jump the gun, but it's kind of the Sunday morning, Sunday school lesson and worship lesson. It goes together. Look with me back in our text. It says in verse 3, knowing, or it says in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His what? Death. The death there is connected, his death there is connected to the death of you and I choosing to die to self. What did Paul say? I die daily. To buffet the flesh. To have submission over the flesh. How do we do that? Through Christ. Verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of of the Father, even so we also. This was not possible before you came to Christ. You by nature did the things that were natural. Children of disobedience. Right? That's what he says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. But now by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life. What does a new life mean? You know, a new chapter, a new place, a new start, a fresh beginning. It's always centered around leaving something. Being removed from something. Something that pulled you down, held you down, was negative. And Paul is embracing this subject of God's grace. This is what God's grace does in our life. He makes us a new creature. A new creature. Newness of life. This is how we are to walk. He says to walk in. Look at that in verse 4. The King James Bible says, even, very last statement, even so 
we also should walk in newness of life. Look in Galatians. Walking in. Walking in. Galatians chapter 5. And you see that same wording here in verse 16. This I say then. Walk in. Walking in newness of life. How do we do that? By walking in the Spirit. We have a newness of life. A different life. New creatures we are. Not in the sense of our physical body being different. You know, we don't have three eyes. We don't have four arms now. We're not mutated people in that sense. He's talking about what God has done inwardly. And that inward possession of Christ can change the outward man. You can live in sin as a Christian. But you'll find that conviction. And you'll find that chastisement. And you'll find that continual gnawing of the Holy Spirit. That and, and, and is it possible for a child of God to sear the conscience? Sure it is. But that Lord still goes after that one lost sheep. That shepherd, He cares for that soul. He cares for that person. And part of salvation is not just eternal, but it's, it's, a, it, it's for this life. To be saved means to have a different life. To be saved means to be uh, yielded to the Spirit and to be governed by Christ. It means to be protected by safety and rules and laws and regulations. He puts these guidelines in our life. Why? Because we are new and we are His children now. And He does care for us. And He says, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That word in is important. We are to walk in newness of life. And that is a choice, is it not? Did you choose to be saved? Was that God forcing His blood, the Son of God's blood upon your life? Did He force you to be saved? No. He patiently wooed you. He convicted you. He went after you. He loved you. He gave it for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. A free choice to be saved. And He does the same thing in this thought of sanctification. But it's progressive. It's progressive. Look in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And that's really my second point. The first point is the new nature. And the second point is the progressive sanctification. And that's what we're going to talk about here in Ephesians chapter 4. Progressive sanctification. And he says down in um, verse 14 and verse 15. That ye henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro by and carried about what? with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may what? Grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Does God want you to be a child? What did Paul say about carnality? could not feed you with meat because you were a child. You are a babe. And, and why? It's because of their... Their position in Christ eternally being secured, but their choice in Christ was fleshly. It was fleshly. We can choose. What did Christ do when Satan 
came to him and asked him to turn these stones into bread. He quoted the Bible to him. Was the Holy Spirit of God upon Christ and in Christ? Yes, the day he was baptized. The Bible says the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. And and as you look at this passage here, it, it speaks of that thought of being growing up, maturity. And he talks about putting off and putting on and putting away. Verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Putting off right somewhere in your Bible, that's a choice. And then look in verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true hope, put by putting on, that's a choice. And then he says in verse 25, wherefore putting away lying, right? Putting away, by putting away lying, that's a choice. Is it not a choice? That's why he says that every man is to work out his own salvation in fear and truth. He's not talking about working it out in a sense of you doing something to obtain it. You already have the salvation. Now you have to work it out. You have to exercise your faith. Meaning that you and I have to come in moments of life to maturity of choosing whether we're going to submit to the old man or submit to the new man. If we're going to put off these former things or we're going to uh, put put on the, the, the choosing of living in newness of life and walking in newness of life and being yielded to the Spirit. Look with me back in uh, our text. He says in verse 5, For if we have been planted together in likeness of His death. Circle the word planted. What are we supposed to bear as a child of God? Anyone. Fruit. Amen. I told my son driving to the church this morning, Caleb, I said, do you know, Caleb, I'm a tree and you're my fruit? He said, no, you're not. And I said, well, does the Bible not say in the book of Genesis to Adam to be fruitful and multiply? In a sense, in an essence, that's really what we're dealing with here. We have been planted. What is our root? What is our grounding? It's the Word of God. What, what are we? What is our life in? It's in Christ. We've been planted in Christ. We've been rebirthed in Christ. We've been planted to bear forth much fruit. He says, in likeness of His death. Verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, did Christ die? So are we to die. We shall also in likeness of His resurrection. In likeness. Does it mean the same entity or the same way? He physically died. He's using that physical illustration to convey a spiritual meaning to the child of God in our choosing. I am to die to my flesh. That might raise, in a sense, from this old man, from this old world, from this old flesh, to, 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 to walk in newness of life. Been resurrected for something different. Been made new for a different calling in a different life. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. There's that thought in Ephesians chapter 4 again. The old man. Look over in Ephesians chapter 4 again. I want to read it to you in verse 22. That you put off concern of the former 
former conversation, the old man. And then he says in our text, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Guess what? Even a 20-year-old that comes to Christ, he's an old man. The old man. you got an old man somewhere in here. What is that called? Adam. That endemic nature. Right? Look over in Colossians chapter 3. He puts it in the same sense here in a different epistle. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you you have put off the old man with his what? His deeds. That's the key of knowing you've put off the old man. What are his deeds? Are you fulfilling his deeds? Are you walking in newness of life? Totally different lifestyle. Go with me back to our text. Progressive sanctification. Are we saved today? But is my body saved? My body saved in the sense of when God looks at me, He sees me clean, forgiven, past, present, and future. All remove my sin. But can I still choose to sin? Absolutely. And so one day, futuristically speaking, in totality or complete sanctification, our body will be made in the likeness of what? His body. And that will lead us to our third point. But um, look with me in Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. And look down in verse number 18. This is progressive sanctification. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me stop you. Think with me. The day you got saved, was your life on the outside as clean as it is today? Meaning that, okay, a man, I believe the Bible teaches that it's a shame for man to have long hair. The Bible tells us that. The nature itself testifies that it's a shame for man to have long hair. I do not believe scripturally that Jesus had long hair as the pictures portray him. Nor do I believe that his flesh was white. <laughs> you know, white Jesus. He was a Jew. Having said that, Let me say this. What is long? The Bible doesn't give us a link. But the Bible does give us a distinction between male and female. Where's the prey of a woman? It's in her hair. And so when a man's hair becomes long enough where to the naked eye you see him from a distance or the backside of this man and he looks like a female but he's not a female then that within itself is wrong because he now has on the outside identified himself in that feminine form. I hope that makes sense. Um, and we could talk about a number of things. I, My wife wears pants. I would never put on my wife's pants. I personally feel that it's wrong for a man to wear these skinny jeans, these 
cut jeans that are very similar in nature to a woman's pair of jeans. And I'm talking culturally now in the, in the scope of humanity dealing just with the last 15, 20 years here. Okay? Uh, first, pants could be worn immodestly on men. Pants could be worn immodestly on women. If you're going to be consistent with clothing, that same statement if it's only geared towards what is masculine, and historically speaking, pants were a masculine garment, then you have to be consistent with dresses or long flowing garments because both male and female in the Old Testament in the days of Christ wore long flowing garments. You also have to be consistent with baseball caps. That in its historical origin was for men to wear, but women wear them today. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying... But these people that are hypocritical in their stand on these things, they've taken the Bible and manipulated it to give their own opinion versus what we know in the declaration of the Scriptures as being true. Getting back to my statement that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Why? Because the Bible says that. That's not me giving my opinion. And so, I don't know why I got off on all that, but that's free. Um... Oh, I do know. Look in verse 18. It says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My dad, the day he got saved, he was in a rock and roll band. He played bass guitar. He smoked dope. He had about hair down past his shoulders, um, just living a wicked lifestyle. He said, The day he got saved, that week, there was no pastor, there was no missionary, there was no one that came to him and said, You need to get your hair cut. He knew he needed to get his hair cut. He just personally, internally knew he needed to get his hair cut because that's what, you know, he looked like a man. And what I'm talking about is as we think about progressive sanctification, the day you got saved, maybe you were rough around the edges, but since you walked with Christ, there's been a change progressively that's been made in your life. You didn't know everything you know the day you got saved. But as God's grace is growing in your heart and as the Holy Spirit, the Word of God speaks to you. And, and you know what? I'm okay with some people if they say this is what God has given to me to do in my life. It's not clear in the Bible that this is the choosing for me. I've got a friend that he said, I I'm not going to the gym anymore because it became a God in his life. And, and for him, that was a personal conviction he was no longer going to the gym but he doesn't preach it as being this is what the bible says about every christian i'm okay with that for him amen but i'm saying that progressive sanctification you grow you know there was a day maybe when you got saved you didn't know how all was wrong there's a lot of christians today that don't know the scriptures and i'm giving you an illustration i know uh even uh melissa in our church just here recently got saved. Um, kind of struggles with some of those things. And you know what? That's okay. As a new convert, because she's growing. She's growing. Praise God, she got saved. And then a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit more there. And then, you know, God's working in her life. You know, a church that is a healthy church is where there's a lot of people at different places in their walk with God. And yet they're growing and going in the same direction. Um, but, but, this is where a lot of churches get grace mixed up. Because they say, 
well, it's it's okay. It's okay. When the Bible says it's not okay. And so, is there progression in sanctification? Absolutely. Uh, and and to, to some degree, that's what Paul is talking about. We are growing. And we are um, dead in sin. And we are to live no longer therein. And, and we are raised to walk in newness of life. And as we grow in grace and knowledge, grace and knowledge of God and God's Word, we learn that sin is sin. And we're not... Look, look back in our text. He says in verse 14, Let sin... Excuse me. For sin shall not have dominion. What? Over you. For you're not under the law, but, un, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. You know, salvation is once and it's eternal. But sanctification in an in a outward sense, the day you got saved, you were sanctified, sanctified in the sense of being separated from the world. You're different. That body has not been fully sanctified. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me, let me say this as I'm talking about the subject. I have personally had men and women that love me that have come to me personally and said, I want to challenge you with this in your life. That word challenge today can, you know, be offensive. But I know those people and they love me. And those people wanting to challenge me in the sense of making something better, making something more right. When Paul says to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all suffering. That's what that challenge is all about. When the Holy Spirit convicts you about something and maybe He uses your children, maybe He uses your wife, maybe He uses a, a pastor or a teacher, maybe He uses a stranger. Don't look at that. What did Solomon say? The wounds of a friend are greater than what the kisses of an enemy. Sanctification, God uses His Word all but His Word flows sometimes through the mouth of many different outlets. And you have to be willing to accept it. Um, here we are. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. Now our third point. Complete or total sanctification. Complete or total sanctification. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown. Uh, it is sown a natural man. Uh, excuse me, a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is raised a spiritual body. And so it is written: the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickened spirit. How be it? That was not. First, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. 
That's a that's a key, amen. There's a good point right there. You got to get them saved before you can change them. Don't don't try to get them sanctified on the outside before they get saved. Our Christian, a lot, well, a lot of so-called Christians are lost, and then on the outside they look good, but their inside is is lost. He says in verse forty-seven, the first man is of the earth earthly, and the second man is of the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image. Why are we called Christians? Because we are to imitate Christ, the image of heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Notice that. One reason why we've been we will be made into a new body is because of that statement. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, when shall we be completely sanctified? When the Lord returns at the rapture, when the last trump of God is made, we that are Dead in Christ shall rise first, and we that are alive shall be caught together. And in that moment, he says, in a moment of a twinkling of an eye. I just turn, let me get back over there. In a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be what? Changed. For this corruptible must put, must put on incorruption in this world must put on immortality. Now, I'm closing by saying this. Why is all of this important? Because people are manipulating grace. Grace is not saying that, okay, you're saved, now you can do whatever. That's not how it works. And thank God for His grace. Praise the Lord. But again, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. And uh, we thank God. I hope some of these things are clear. I, I hope they're expressed and illustrated in a clear manner. I praise the Lord for this chapter. And again, it seems like I've talked about a couple of things here. Uh, one very simple, just the illustration of pants because there's legalism. And I think different entities are associated with legalism with different culture and with different periods of time down through Humanity, legalism is definitely a sinful. It's the one extreme where bless God, bless God, and bless God, Amen. But what you're giving me is not Bible opinion. But the other side of that is the extreme of you can do whatever, and let's just accept people in their homosexual sin. Let's just accept people in their fornication. It's okay if you're a drunkard in our church. And if you want to scream like him, it's fine. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Amen.